0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 141 of the Northern Miner Podcast. I'm your host, John Cumming, the Editor-in-Chief of the Northern Miner. And this episode, we have a real treat for the gold investors out there. Here we present a two-person panel of Steve Letwin, the President and CEO of I Am Gold, and Peter Moroni, the Executive Chairman of Yamana Gold. This was recorded at our Canadian Mining Symposium held at Canada House in London on May twenty-second, 2019. And in this case, uh, Trish Saywell, our senior staff writer, is the moderator. Some of the topics that Steve, Peter, and Trish touch upon is consolidation necessary in the mid-tier gold mining space, the financial metrics and accounting rules around gold mining companies these days, as well as the big picture for gold production, gold prices, and the prices of gold mining stocks. This podcast is sponsored by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Check out their website at yukonminingalliance.ca and their Twitter feed at at investyukon, all one word. Some of the latest news out of the Yukon, we have Luxco just raised $6.5 U.S. in a bought deal. They have their Kino Hill project there. Victoria Gold's new Eagle gold mine is 95% complete and commissioning is underway. And Pembridge Resources out of the U.K. finally closed its deal to acquire Capstone's Minto copper gold mine in the Yukon. We'll take a little musical break, and on the other side, we will have Steve Letwin, president and CEO of I'm Gold, Peter Moroni, executive chairman of Humana Gold, in a um, panel moderated by Trish Saywell, our staff writer, and introduced by our group publisher, Anthony Vaccaro.
1: So greatly honored to have Steve Letwin and Peter Maroney come and join us for the opening panel on Mid-Tier Excellence, and very happy to introduce Northern Miner staff reporter Trish Saywell, who will be doing the moderation. So a little bit about Trish. Trish joined the Northern Miner in 2007. Prior to covering the mining industry for us, she worked as a correspondent for the Far East Economic Review in Hong Kong, Shanghai, and in Singapore. She also contributed stories to the Asian Wall Street Journal. And she's, as most of you know, has quickly defined herself as one of the top mining reporters we think anywhere in the world. So Trish, please take it away.
2: Well, I'm delighted to introduce two of our most exciting CEOs in the business in Canada. Steve Letwin was appointed president and CEO of I'm Gold in November 2010. And Peter Moroni founded Yamana Gold in July of 2003 and serves as its executive chairman. Before joining I'm Gold, Steve worked in the oil and gas sector for many years including as an executive vice president at Enbridge, president and COO of TransCanada Energy, and chief financial officer of TransCanada Pipelines, NUAC, and Encore Energy. Peter founded Yamana Gold in July 2003. And prior to that, he was the head of investment banking at a major Canadian investment bank, as well as practicing corporate law in Toronto with a focus on corporate and securities law and international transactions. So welcome to you both just like to start off, earlier this month on Barrick's first quarter conference call, CEO Mark Bristow described the industry, the gold mining industry, as in being in disarray. And I'm wondering whether you would uh, agree with that characterization. And secondly, why do gold miners endemically have lower return on equity than miners of other metals or other resources? Which one of you would like to start with that?
1: I'm not sure I would... Use disarray, but I I think I think the point Mark was trying to make is, uh, and it's probably good just to give a a little comparison. So the ten top gold companies in the world have a total capitalization of 120 billion U.S. Microsoft is 960 billion alone. So our ten top companies are just over 100 billion. In the mid-tier section where I live and work, there are 16 mid-tier companies. We total probably about 25% of the total market cap, and the market is shrinking. The capital pools, I think everybody here would, would agree, it's a lot more challenging to raise money. The five top cannabis companies in Canada now, over two years, have a total market cap of over 80 billion. So I think the point is this, and I think that's why Barrick and Rand Gold did the deal they did, which I, by the way, applaud. I think Mark Bristow and John Thornton did a very good deal there for the industry, as uh, Newmont and Gold Corp did. I think we do need to consolidate. I've been saying this for two years at least. There are too many of us with too little capital. That may change, but right now we're competing for the same dollar. And unfortunately, those dollars are shrinking right now, although we hope that'll change. And so we literally have a lot of G&A, general and administrative expenses, spread across, in my opinion, too many companies with too few new investors. So I would agree with that part of... Mark's comments.
2: Peter?
3: Um, How to follow from that? If I remember correctly, what he said was that the new barrack is, and again, I hope I'm not paraphrasing too much, is capable of rising above Mm -hmm. the fray, capable Mm -hmm. of rising above this disarray. Mm -hmm. So um, that lends itself a bit to hyperbole, a little bit of exaggeration. I'm not saying that Mark lends himself to hyperbole and exaggeration, but that that comment certainly does. I'm going to take a little bit of a different take. I will say that the consolidation of Barrick and Rangold, which I think is a smart transaction, I equally think that Newmont and GoCorp is a smart transaction. I know that there are those who disagree. But if it's capable of rising above the fray, it suggests that it's not sure. And I would say that if you're gonna engage in that type of a transaction, and you're gonna create something that is supposed to be different, then you should be sure. Because if you're capable only, that suggests to me that there is an uncertainty. It's still not clear. And I recently described it as a three-act play where we've seen the first act. We don't know what the second and third act say. We haven't seen a synopsis of it. We don't know how the play ends. And yet we're already coming to the conclusion that there should be consolidation we're coming to the conclusion that that's the only way forward. And I'm not sure that I agree with that. On the question of disarray, uh, again, I hope you can appreciate that. um, You mentioned that I was a lawyer, then an investment banker, and then I took this company public. Taking a company public and being an executive of a mining company is being a promoter. Uh, And those of you who are in the room who have run mining companies recognize that there's an element of being a promoter in everything that we do. And so you have to be optimistic I've gone from the dark side to the darker side to the very darkest side. Um, but in, in, in being a promoter, you have to be a little bit optimistic, and I think this is an industry where you have to be a little bit optimistic. I don't take what is happening today as the end of days. I think that it is a cycle. We're going through a cycle. It is at a point in the cycle that I was saying recently to someone, or just in, in the anteroom uh, to someone just before this uh, presentation, that it's the worst I've seen in probably 25 to 30 years, uh, 15 years with this company, but been on boards of directors of public mining companies, represented those companies as a, either as an investment banker or as a lawyer. So it isn't particularly good, but let's not give up on it yet. The industry is not entirely in disarray. We are finding things. We're replacing ounces. We are consolidating, as those companies have done. We are producing uh, gold is range, seems to be range-bound but it's range-bound within an area that for many companies, perhaps the majority, certainly the plurality of companies, they're making money. We're generating free cash flow. We can, we can demonstrate that there's a value proposition. I think where there is a disconnect, perhaps what creates that disarray, is that we haven't done a very good job. In fact, we've done a very poor job communicating to the investing public what the thesis for investment in a gold mining company is. I think we've done a better job in communicating what the thesis is for investing in gold, but not necessarily in the gold equities, and I think that we have to get better at it. Now, if I go back 25 years ago, those of you who are in the audience who have been around that long would remember that we used to model companies based on net asset value, and then it became cash flows, and now it's free cash flow, and the generation of EBITDA, And there seems to be an uncertainty of what it is that makes the difference in investing in a mining company and in a gold mining company in particular. I personally think that it's a combination of many of those things. Yes, you should be generating free cash flow, but if you're overlooking the investment in the ground, if you're returning only money to shareholders and and overlooking that investment in the ground, that creates a little bit of that disarray. So I have a bit of a different take on uh, that uh, comment of the market being, or at least the uh, industry being in disarray. I don't believe that consolidation is the only path forward. I think that bigger is not better. I think that better is better. And I would say that, uh, and this is a plug perhaps to you, Steve, and certainly I think to ourselves, that the sweet spot to be is the intermediate mining companies. And if I'm right that we will enter a cycle... Where gold price improves and an investment in the equities will improve, the best place to be is in the intermediate sized companies. And consolidation for the sake of becoming bigger is a mistake. Replacing ounces becomes more difficult. We have to go to more far flung places and that creates an imbalance between the risk and reward uh, equation.
2: I think it's fair to say though that many companies in this business are not being profitable at the current gold price. So what do you think is the true break-even price for gold miners? That is to say, at what price does gold have to be in order to make gold miners profitable or provide them with the same margins as an integrated producer like Glencore?
3: So, so uh, perhaps for, if I can uh, begin, Steve. Sure. Uh, profit, and, and, I, and I know that there are many in other industries that disagree with this comment, but profit is different than cash flow and free cash flow and I appreciate that we should be measured based on profitability but, boy, profitability is tough in an industry that doesn't attract a lot of attention, where there are rules that are not designed to accommodate what the industry is about. An excellent example, and it's almost almost a real-life example, is on a mine that we owned that we sold several years ago. Imagine the following, if you discover a million ounces and it costs you 50 million, to develop that million ounces into production. Then you discover a second million ounces, and it costs you a million to develop that and put it into production. The businessman in me would say, well then that's two million ounces over $51 million, and that's what you should be amortizing. Whereas accountancy rules, and I'm not an accountant, but accountancy, and I hope I'm not offending accountants in the room, But accountancy rules would say that you've got to amortize that first 50 million over the million ounces before you get to that second million ounces over a million. And that seems skewered to me a little bit. And it leads to a different financial result, a different profit result. I agree that we should be generating cash flow. I agree with you that we should be generating free cash flow. Where it is not clear to me, and this is where as an industry, perhaps as an industry participant, the World Gold Council as a representative of this industry should start to define it a little bit better. What is free cash flow? Because if it is after investment, for example, in expansionary capital, then the industry will be doomed because we cannot expand, we cannot build new mines, we cannot find new ounces and then develop those new ounces if the holy grail is only free cash flow. On your question of profitability or generation of free cash flow, I think probably twelve fifty is a good sweet spot. I'd say that at twelve fifty, perhaps as low as twelve hundred, most of the companies, certainly the intermediate size and larger cap companies, begin to generate free cash flow. Below that, it becomes it starts to become a little bit more difficult. But so many factors go into it that it becomes very difficult to consider. Steve touched on a few moments ago that we can take steps to improve our g and I think the answer is yes, we probably can. Certainly, we're taking those steps now. The impact of currencies can have a very significant impact. The Brazilian reais, four years ago was at 1.6, today it's at 4.09. And that makes a huge difference in terms of the margin that we generate from operations in one country or another. And so it's difficult to gauge, but I'd say a good point would be 1250 perhaps as low as 1200 mm-hmm. where we start to generate free cash flow. But what is more interesting to me is the sensitivity. Uh, as an industry, we as a company in the industry are highly sensitive to metal prices. So a $50 movement in gold price takes what is a, perhaps a modest level of cash flow and free cash flow and makes it a multiple of that. So We've been range-bound for a while, in that range of probably 1,200 to 1,350, thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And between 1,200 and 1,350, this this industry is generating good free cash flow. And in my view, that is not supported by the share price. The share prices are low by comparison to the cash flows that are being generated and the free cash flows being generated.
2: Okay. Steve, same question.
1: I think Einstein said, you know, if you... uh, you want to look at the definition of insanity, it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. There's a bit of insanity in the gold space where if we don't do something differently, we're going to continue to wither away. When I joined the industry from the oil and gas business in 2011, precious metals alone was uh, raised eight billion in equity Do you know what that number is today? It's less than 100 million this year. The market is tired of the way we run our business. So we need to wake up and listen to the market and do something different. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to go, in the absence of being able to raise equity, we have to go to a self-funding model. The oil and gas business had to do the same thing. So we can disagree about our valuations. But for the last seven years, gold price has averaged 1250 People are tired of it. People haven't seen the catalyst. We were supposed to go to $1,400 this year. Even Goldman Sachs said that who had said gold was gonna go to 900 just three years ago. So look, I'm as optimistic as the next guy. I wouldn't be in this business if I wasn't. I was in the oil and gas business 28 years. I saw six cycles. We need to pull up our socks and generate free cash flow to fund our businesses. Or we will disappear. And the mid-tier sector is a sector where we really need, as Peter said, to get our act together and start generating enough free cash flow to move the growth ahead because you know what? The market isn't there for us to raise the money. Go try and raise equity today. It isn't going to happen.
2: What more is gonna what what more is it gonna take before investor sentiment improves though, beyond a higher gold price?
1: You need you need a catalyst. I I don't like saying it's gotta be priced, but I think we do need the gold price to move out of that, as Peter said that it's range bound. We have a hard time sticking above thirteen hundred dollars. Have you watched it? It it hits thirteen oh one, hits thirteen oh two. I get all excited. I know the rest of you do. You get up in the morning, gold's above thirteen hundred. And then the next three hours somebody sells gold into the market and it's twelve seventy-five. Today it's hardly it's having a hard time hitting twelve seventy. Peter announces fantastic results. I we announce a fantastic gold discovery. Our stock falls. It drops look I'm not negative about it I'm 63 years old I've been around a long time and survived and will survive this I'm just saying we can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect that the market is just gonna wake up one day and say oh we love you again we need to change or we will suffer the consequences. So I'm not being fatalistic, we just need to make sure that we are in touch with the market and a self-funding model right now is what the market is demanding. Mm
2: -hmm. Given the difficult, oh, sorry, go ahead,
1: Peter. Where I agree uh, with what
3: Steve has said is that there has to be some change, but where I am, Perhaps if I can pick up on something that Steve said about the size of the industry. So the 10 largest companies have a market capitalization, I think Steve mentioned, of 120 billion. I think the entire industry is somewhere in the range of 200 billion. At its height, it was probably 400 billion. And at some point over the course of the last decade, that's about the amount of cash that was on Apple's balance sheet. So it's not a very big industry. But again, allow me to be a bit optimistic and I, I think this is important, gold equities are now trading at all-time lows to gold price, even with a range-bound gold price. And we have a small industry, and we have a very big market, a very, very big market that has become much bigger than it was. As I was saying to someone in the anteroom outside, I think that the market has overlooked what is always true, which is You have to look at risk-reward, you have to look at volatility Uh, and it is also true that markets overshoot and undershoot. And I think we're in a classic situation today where the broader market is overshooting and is disregarding volatility, it is disregarding risk, geopolitical risk, socioeconomic risk. It's trite for me to say what you already know, world debt is more than double what it was in 2008. And I know I'm not up on current events, but we had a financial crisis in 2008. So, world debt is high, very high. We have geopolitical conflict in at least three really hot, hot spots in the world. And yes, gold is, seems to be range-bound. And if I can step back for a moment, if Goldman Sachs said it was going to 900 and it didn't, why did we believe that it would go to 1400 Yeah. So let's be counter-cyclical a little bit. And part of counter-cyclical is that the catalyst, in my view, is not gold price doing something or the gold companies changing something. The catalyst is the broader market. A recognition that the broader market is at risk. And if that broader market is at risk, money will have to find a home. And when money tries to find a home in this very small sector, as you were describing, it will be the corporate equivalent of the volume of water of a Niagara Falls through a garden hose. It, it will be unparalleled. We will see new heights. I hope I'm not being overly optimistic, and I know it's very <coughs> difficult today. Um, our share price was down significantly yesterday, and I'm, we're Danielle and I, our chief executive officer and I, were scratching our heads and wondering, what exactly changed from the morning to the night? Because we can't really see anything that would account for that type of a drop during the day. So it hurts, uh, it hurts me personally, I'm invested, and I bought, buy, continue to buy shares. It hurts you as investors, it hurts executives of companies, it hurts all of us. But I think we need to keep an eye on the reality that the broader market is attracting and sucking so much money into it that there isn't anything really left in this industry but when that changes and it will change because everything goes through a cycle it will be that equivalent of the volume of a Niagara Falls amount of water coming through a garden hose because this industry is so small and we will see new heights we'll be having this conference a year from now or maybe two years from from now Uh, we will be looking back and wondering why we were worried in the first place
2: What mistakes do you think mining companies keep making? And the same question, what mistakes do investors keep making when investing in gold companies?
1: You know, I wrote a paper uh, three years ago, uh, and I was looking at our reserve situation in the gold space, and I'd done similar work in oil and gas. And I'd happened to be right in the oil and gas sector in the 90s, and I made a lot of money. But I was wrong this time in the gold sector because I thought we were probably going to hit peak gold this year, last year. But in 2018 we actually produced more gold than we ever have in our history. We produced 109 million ounces. And we seem to be able to because of the emphasis on near near mine exploration, which is smart, short cycle economics, I underestimated how much of that we could do in my formula, so I made a mistake. And because of the focus on free cash flow, as Peter was talking about, we're seeing actually more gold being produced than we ever have. So although the reserves are falling, as Peter talked about, the long term, and there will come a point, as he said, where this will cross. The question is, when? When do we wake up in the morning and somebody says, gold production is actually falling relative to last year, and we have a situation because of the small industry where this Niagara Falls situation occurs, and the price of gold goes up to what Rob McEwen loves to talk about $5,000 an ounce or $10,000 an ounce. That truly would be a party. But right now, we haven't seen that math, so we continue, and then the market is saying, we're not going to give you any money to invest. Stop. Stop doing that. Because guess what? We're not going to give you any more money to do that. Your history around building mines with rates of return that are acceptable hasn't been there. So we may challenge the market and say the market has got it wrong. But the market is what pays our bills. So we need to listen to the market. And the market is saying too much gold. Not enough reserves, we all know that reserves are falling, but our actual production continues to rise. Mm -hmm. So we do need to react to that in some form or fashion. I don't know if we could form an OPEC for gold producers. I've thought about that. Because, you know, we're throwing too much gold into the market right now, relative to what the market wants. Mm -hmm. I am not smart enough
3: to really understand peak gold. One of our executive officers has an excellent thesis. He was an analyst in the financial community, and he has an excellent thesis on peak gold. My gut tells me, however, that the supply side is never as good on driving value and price as the demand side. And so we could get to a point where we actually throttle back on production But I'm not sure that that's going to be determinative over the longer term of what happens to price. What happens to price for gold is going to be dependent on the demand side. And um, I think that that is where we should be placing our focus. Now, on the demand side, what's interesting to me is where is a lot of the buying occurring? A lot of the buying is occurring in Asia with certain central banks and I know it's, it's a bit difficult because I don't know if I can talk in 20-year terms or 10-year terms or even 5-year terms. And certainly markets are more focused on something that is more immediate than that. But if we looked at a longer-term trajectory, we're seeing something that is very unique, which is the de-dollarization of some parts of the world. And there is a re-emphasis among certain countries, certain companies, industries, central banks on investment in gold. And so I would encourage all of us to be focusing on the demand side rather than the supply side to determine ultimately what happens uh, to gold price. But really, we're manufacturers of gold, but we're not really that interested in gold price as much as we're interested in the price of our shares. And on the price of our shares, what is interesting to me is that as an industry and as a company in that industry, this is one of the lowest points of price of of shares to metal price that I've seen in at least the last couple of decades. And I think that represents a real value proposition. And that is in part what I think the market perhaps is misunderstanding to go to your question, that there's a real value proposition in owning stock, not just owning gold, even at gold prices that are in that range of about 1200 to maybe 1350, that range that it has been in for the past several years.
2: Great, thank you so much. I think we've reached the time.
0: That does it for this episode of the Northern Miner podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll put together a transcript of this podcast, the um, Letwin Win Maroney portion of it, and you can find that on our website at northernminer.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, the Yukon Mining Alliance. Check out their website at yukonminingalliance.ca and their Twitter feed at, at investyukon, all one word. And just as I end each episode, I certainly would encourage you to Help out the podcast by liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it, commenting on it. All those things help with the podcast metrics and help promote the podcast to new listeners. That's it for now. Bye-bye.